Shut up and sit down. Let me tell you something. I must love you bitches a lot because I live in the South and I have turned off both my fans for you guys so there won't be background noise except for the, my fucking idiot neighbors who are still celebrating July 4th. It's the 7th. They're still celebrating. Fuckers. And for the record... It is 10 o'clock where I am, and it is 81 degrees. At 10 o'clock at night. But what is more, what is worse, is the humidity is 70%. Now, some of you are thinking, you don't know what that means. And others of you are going, oh my God, Kira, how are you surviving? 70%. The humidity is 70 fucking percent, and it's 81 degrees. It feels like 85. I do hope there are fireworks, too, um, because um, we did have an incident with a gun um, a couple of houses over uh, about six months ago. Um, cleaning accident. He fired it because he's a dumbass, um, but put the whole neighborhood on alert. Nothing quite sounds like a um, double barrel shot going going off, dumbass. Anyways, <clears throat> anyways, <clears throat> seventy fucking percent. Um, Jilly is my guest this evening. Um, she this is kind of her topic, um, because I didn't know what to think of, and um, she had um, an epiphany in the shower. Was I I allowed to say that? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Oops. (laughs) I do all my best thinking in the shower. (laughs) So, you know, I wanted to share um, that um, my new puppy, uh, Kronos, um, He's not really a, I mean, he's he's a year old, so, um, but, um, he's a hugger. He, it is so weird. I have never had a dog, um, do this, but he will stand up on his hind legs, hook his paws on my hips, and hug me like he's a person. Then he'll get down. That's how he greets me. He hugs me. I, I got nothing. I don't know why. It's adorable. Unfortunately, he's also shedding the rest of his winter coat. He blew the rest of his undercoat. So he's... So I had to go buy one of those lint brush things just to keep myself from being covered in dog hair because every time he sees me, he hugs me. It's adorable. Um, 
but it's also a particularly hairy situation this time of the year. Yeah, it's hugging. Um, uh, yeah, it's it's definitely hugging. <clears throat> it is really sweet. It's it's sweet, but also because of the hair situation, super annoying. And I, um, because I don't believe actually in in shaving a double coat dog, a, a double coated dog. Um, I I'm, I'm having to um, I'm pulling the hair as it loosens, um, which I think is the more humane method because it's not hurting him to to kind of pull the hair off after he gets it loose. I just don't think that shaving a co- a dog with a double coat is um, it, it's just a stupid idea to, to to do that, so I don't do that. So um, he looks a mess, but he's comfortable, and um, it <laughs> vanity for my dog really isn't high on my list. I, currently, he's he's a muddy mess. They don't. It also. I mean, Shaving a a dog with a double coat can corrupt their hair follicles because they don't shed them properly, Um, and it can also cause hypothermia because they use their coat to regulate their body temperature. And um, you can a a husky, especially a husky or even a malamute, could have could have could have hypothermia in the middle of summer if you um, if you shave them. So don't do that shit. It's just, it's really bad. Um, so anyway, he's a mess. And currently, it's been raining, and this dog loves mud. He loves mud puddles. My, normally, if you've, if you've seen him on Facebook, he he's beautiful. He's white and silver. Um, he's just absolutely adorable, and he's just a beautiful dog. Um, currently, he's brown. <laughs> Because I can't keep him out of the mud, and he loves it so much that I don't. I just, I just let him do it. I just, I just let him do it. I'll just hose him off tomorrow after the rain dries up and everything, and make him sit in his crate till he dries. But I just, I just can't get mad at him for jumping around in puddles like a little kid. So I, so I let him do it because he's a dog. He's on a showpiece. He's not a. Um, my neighbor passed by, and um, she says, oh, he's normally so pretty. I said, he's a dog. He's having fun. He's not some doll. I have, I don't understand people who treat their dogs like dolls. It, it doesn't make any sense to me. It's just a weird thing to, to see that, you know, to see them all pimped up. And everything. It's just weird. <coughs> anyway, I don't I don't believe in doing that. Um I don't believe in any kind of cosmetic procedures either to make them look a certain way either. So um he is he's adorable. He's um he's a full husky, um, but his growth was stunted. So he's only thirty seven pounds and I don't think he's gonna get much bigger than that. And he probably really should be close to eighty for his breed. Um, but I just don't think he's gonna make it. Um, I don't know if it's because he was underfed or if it was just if he was the run of his litter. I do think it was because he was underfed, but I I, I can't prove that. Anyways, he's a little shit and he likes to hug and um 
He locks it up in mud puddles. I should have named him Pigpen. <sighs> Meanwhile, Jack has started carrying his blanket around. It takes everything I've got not to 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 to, to keep him from taking it outside with him. It's become his security. Um, he's not dealing with the loss of Cisco well at all, and he doesn't like the new puppy. Um, and he, all all he wants is his blanket. And um, I'm I'm having a hard time. And when I washed it this week and I put it in the dryer, he sat by the dryer till it came out. And it was hot in that laundry room, but he would not come out of the laundry room without his blanket. So I get it out of the dryer, and I <laughs> he immediately takes it from me. I should get. I should, I should just get a whole collection of Charlie Brown figures and get it over with. He immediately takes it from me, takes it back upstairs, puts it in his crate, gets in his crate and lays down on it and looks at me like I'm the devil. Unfortunately, some people are not getting into the chat room, and I'm sorry. I, I don't know why. Um, I don't know what's going on. Um, <clears throat> I don't know why it's doing that. Anyway, I did steal his poor blanket, and I washed it. Unfortunately, this is probably the last time I'm going to be able to wash this particular fleece. Because um, every year I buy him a fleece at Walmart. They're like five bucks a piece, you know, those little throw fleeces that you get at Walmart. Um, and, it, and it lasts him about a year before it starts to fall apart. And this one's falling apart, so I'm going to have to get him a new one. And what I figure I'll do is I'll get the new one and put it in the bed with the old one. And then let him keep both for a while. And then throw the old one away. And, and hopefully by then he'll have attached to the new one. I mean, I, I'm hoping because um, I can't let him keep a fleece blanket that's falling apart because he might end up eating pieces of it, and that's not good for his digestion. You guys don't. <laughs> that's not, this is not the topic. We're going to chat about um, stuff and um, uh, going to get Jillian here and um, <clears throat> see how see how that goes. And we're going to talk about um, <clears throat> writer habits and other writers and all that jazz and um, see how it goes. <clears throat> I have got the attention span of a gnat. I have picked up my phone, and I want you, <laughs> you guys know my problem, right? Those of you who listen regularly know my problem. I've got two phone numbers on my on my board, and I always forget which one is which. And I have looked on my phone four different times, and I have forgotten every single time. Shit, shit. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's me. <laughs> I looked at the right number and then clicked the light holder light holder number anyway. So that's just you know the herding cat part. Um 
I love all you guys on Rough Trade. I do. I, I love you guys. You guys are being so creative and so awesome and really delving into the challenge this year for July. But honestly, sometimes it's really like herding cats. Over there. Yes, which basically means you just kind of stand still and watch. <laughs> Hope for the best. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's just no point in chasing any of them. It is the number thing. I have, and I never can say the actual thing that I've got because I just I just can't say it. Discalcula. Discalcula. Is it discalcula? Is it discalcula? Is it discalcula? I don't know. I have, I have math dyslexia. I I fuck up numbers, and um, I had that problem all my life, and it wasn't until I was an adult, like in my 30s, until um, someone pointed out to me that that, that that was my problem. I mean, I used to get so upset, even like in basic math classes, that I would just cry doing my homework. It just didn't, it just, nothing about it made sense, and I would think I was doing it right, and then the only math class I ever did well in was geometry, and I rocked fuck out of geometry. I got a 100 for the year in geometry. Not that I'm bragging or anything, but I think I need to brag because it's the only math class where I ever did that. And I had to struggle to get B, high B's and low A's in math. And um, I had to get those because of um, I, I wanted this particular scholarship for college and so I had to I had no choice so I would spend five to six hours more a week on math classes than I did all my other classes combined so for someone like you know who you spend 30 minutes on a math problem or a math homework I would spend two hours because it was just it was not it was not working for me, and it never did. And it wasn't until I was way the hell out of college before they even recognized that there are people out there who have this problem, but it's not words, it's math. And there was never any discussion of whether or not I might have some form of dyslexia because um, I was reading before I got to school. Is this calculia? There's an extra syllable in there. Calculia. Calculia. Geometry is very different. Geometry makes sense to me. Geometry always did. I've rocked the hell out of proofs. Let me tell you, I rocked the proofs. Because my teacher, when he got me, he was like, oh, God, because I had a reputation already by my junior year that teaching her math is going to be a fucking nightmare. Just let you know, dude. And... I breezed through the first two or three weeks of class, and he took me aside and he said, so-and-so told me that you're kind of a problem in math classes and that I have to work extra hard to keep your grades up. And I was like, I don't know, but this is just, it just makes all kinds of sense. (laughs) I'm just, I'm really enjoying this. (laughs) And geometry is the only one that I, and I could understand word problems, and I could even understand what I was supposed to do with word problems, but I never could get the actual math to work. So needless to say, I avoided as much math as I possibly could. <laughs> just no. Just I'm done with that. <laughs> 
Thank God for Excel. <coughs> I can hear something, but I'm not sure what it is. There's like a... Um, it's a white noise sound. Oh, you hear, that should be gone now. I just turned it off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it wasn't intrusive. If if, if you get hot and you turn it back on. If I get hot, um, I'll, I'll turn it back on out because we don't want me sitting here sweating. <laughs> no, no, we don't want that. Um. Okay. Um. We were uh, talking last week about how um, fandom can kind of ruin you. Um, as a reader and um, even as a writer, that it, sometimes it can kind of make you lazy. Um, but mostly, I was, I was talking about uh, the reader experience and how, um, you know, you go into a completed story, it's 300,000 words, and you go buy a, a novel and it's 75 and you feel cheated. <laughs> like, like you didn't get a whole story because <laughs> you're used to reading these ridiculously long epics that will never be published, that, that would never be published. Um, it's just, you know, so it's just what you get, you know, you get used to those kinds of, um, that kind of um, word load on a story, and, and then you go buy a novel, and it's 75 or 100K, and you're like, really? That's it? It's kind of short, isn't it? <laughs> you lazy-ass writer. <laughs> Where are the four <laughs> subplots and the and all the tertiary characters? <laughs> and, and where are the secondary pairings? Come on. What is this? You lazy ass. But that's just not what the modern fiction market um, would bear. And that's more of a publisher decision, I think, maybe, than a reading public decision. Because, obviously, there are readers out there who really enjoy the hell out of that kind of thing. Well, I think you have to consider that people go to fan fiction because they're not getting what uh, not not always, but a lot of times you're because you're not getting what you want in you know mainstream fiction um, or not entirely. Maybe there's not everything you want. You know, I mean, I I stumbled into fan fiction because I really wasn't getting um, the kind of stories I wanted, and I didn't know that they existed somewhere. Right, so it's like I could get good, rich relationship stories or sex, and I wasn't getting the two together, right? And I wanted to read. I wanted really good, rich stories with good plots with graphic sex, and that didn't exist, you know, at that time. That was hard to come by. Yeah, it's it's still hard to come by, in my opinion. Um, But fan fiction was just rife with it. Like there it was, all these great stories. Some of the, you know, some of the spectacularly well written, and yeah, some of them were just, you know, I, I didn't start off with three or four hundred thousand million word epics re- as a reader, um, but you know, I easily was reading hundred thousand word stories because I was really intimidated. If somebody came up to me and said, "Oh, this story's four hundred thousand words," I'd be like, "Are you high? <laughs> what am I supposed to do with that?" You know, because I was coming from, you know, most of the porn I had been reading was from anthologies. Um, which were anthologies of short stories. You're talking two to 5,000 words for the most part. Um, and um, then most of the relationship stories were, either, um, were mostly from the romance market. Um, and then I was also you know, reading for plot. I was reading science fiction. And so there's just like everything was very compartmentalized. You know? it's like, but I wasn't getting everything in one package. And it's like in fan fiction, I was getting everything in one package. 
And I think that in some ways that the publishing market has been slow to catch up to what readers want. And um, and so I think that, you know, aside from the fact that fans just want to write more about the shows that they like, if they also want to write the kind of stories they want to read. And they want to write, write you know, read things that have rich, complicated plots with a relationship and sex, you know. We want it all. We want everything in a basket with a bow, with some coffee and some chocolate. <laughs> Damn right. We're not asking for. We're not asking for a lot. Maybe some booze. Good booze, not bad booze. <clears throat> well, you think the erotic romance um, market took off, and that. Um, was a big improvement for me in terms of the kind of you know stories I like to read because that didn't really exist when I started you know reading fan fiction is that was just labeled there was porn and there was romance there really wasn't anything in between um, so but yeah I think that fan fiction does set an unreasonable expectation of what the market what you're going to find in a published novel which is um, you know I think it's just kind of check your you got to kind of check your expectations at the door you know that's not you can't bring your fan fiction expectations into a book so I flip over to the messenger because Azure can't get into the chat room and I see Steven Tyler <laughs> did she <laughs> animated gif of Steven Tyler I was like well okay <laughs> I think that um, I agree that the publishing industry is is slow to catch up with the kind of um, story that um, people, readers, hardcore readers really want. Um, the problem is, is that the industry isn't really, um, yeah, the lead singer of Aerosmith is Steven Tyler, um, isn't designed to... Produce that kind of material. Yeah, I mean, people I think would be off put at what the realistic cost of a four hundred thousand word novel would be, because you just can't, you know. They don't want. Most people aren't, aren't used to paying, you know, a lot of money for what they consider to be like an erotic romance or something like that. So if, if somebody's writing an erotic romance, they're they're going to want it for four ninety nine or five ninety nine or nine ninety nine or something like that. And if the cost of under you know, ten dollars, yeah, but, but four hundred k, four hundred k is is going to be high, and they're not going to be able to sell that for to you for a seven ninety nine. Um, for even no, for it's going to be eighteen, so. nineteen dollars just for the ebook, and putting it in print would be completely out of the yeah, question you're looking for at ebook only. less than, than a, a New York house. Um, and even then, a New York house might hesitate to put something that large in print. I mean, actually, if I if I if I had a five hundred thousand word novel and somebody said we'd like to put this in print, I'd be like, "Are you crazy? I don't want to be personally responsible for murdering that many trees." <laughs> no, <laughs> ebook is fine. But what you can do is, um, and this is something this is kind of relevant. If you structure your idea in such a way that you can um, separate it over a series of books. 
episodes, if you will. <laughs> novellas, novels, whatever. Make them, <laughs> novel, them 400,000 word novels. I mean, a publisher um, so, would be so excited if you handed them 400,000 word novels all at once. They'd be like, hello, new newbie writer. <laughs> where, where have you been all my life? That's <laughs> They're like, we've got a whole series all at once. We don't have to wait for this shit. This is awesome. Okay, for for reference, um, there are some fairly large, there are some ginormous books out there. I'm trying to find one that, um, Les Miserables is 600,000 words plus, it's 655,000 words. Um, Atlas Shrugged is 645,000 words. And that book is unpleasant to hold. You know, it's not just relaxing. It is a thousand pages in paperback. It is literally a fucking thousand pages in paperback. Hitler's book, Mein Kampf, is that how you say it? Mein Kampf? The book, the, the, the book about Hitler is a million words. It is 36,000 pages in six volumes. No, these are the longest books ever made. The Gina Yule books don't come close to this. Um, these are all books over 500,000 words. <clears throat> and they're all considered one book, even if they're 12 volumes. Um, and it's just, that's just ridiculous. But if you wanted to tell a story that long, you could in the professional market. If you broke it up over like three or four or five, six novels. Um, and those would be fairly easy to, they would be, <laughs> it would be like night and day marketing. Oh, I have a six novel series and they're all done. Really? Oh, I have a 600,000 word novel. Really? <laughs> you, do you see the difference there? There's a big difference there, right? <coughs> there's excitement, and then there's a whole, oh, fuck me. I can't. How long has this person been writing this novel? Ten years? <laughs> this is ridiculous. Well, this is because if they can sell, if, they, if you give them 600,000 word novels, and they can sell each one for nine ninety nine versus one 600,000-word novel that they would have a hard time selling for $20. They're going to make a lot more money doing it individually, and it's more reasonable. So It's more reasonable to edit. It's more reasonable to, to hold as a reader. It's more reasonable to purchase as a reader. It's more reasonable to bring into the production progress, um, process, either as an ebook or as a, um, a print novel. Um, honestly, the print novel is is going the way of the dodo. I I said in the 90s that I thought the print novel would be gone by the year 2025. Um, that it would be more of a luxury purchase than a, a regular purchase. Um, there's been a kind of a backlash about ebooks that, that I didn't anticipate, but I should have. But I think maybe by the year 2050, buying a print novel will be like, you bought it in print? 
What are you going to do with that? Where are you going to stick it? <laughs> you have a bookshelf? <laughs> yeah, for fiction, I don't I don't understand fiction for uh, just fiction printed fiction just as, uh, I don't buy it. Um but like reference material, I still prefer it printed. Um, I don't like, have a library not... for reference material these days, but um, yeah, as, but far as, Chicago... as far as like fiction, I haven't even bought a print copy of my own book. <laughs> I did. I did. I did buy a did print you? copy of your book. I did. Pretty... I did, bought it for my mother. <laughs> <laughs> you should send it to me and I'll sign it. <laughs> okay. That's hilarious, but no, I haven't even bought my own. I, I mean, it's just—I mean, I should, right? I should be—I should do that. It's just really bizarre that I haven't. Um, but um, I'm just—you know—I um, did it. I agreed to it because um, the publisher asked me, and I agreed because there were people when it first came out who asked me if they could buy it in print, and I said that it was only going to be in an ebook. Um, so when she gave me the opportunity to do that, I was like, okay, sure, because I knew there were readers out there who who, who might who would who, who would want to buy it in print. But it isn't something that um, I mean, I haven't bought a fiction novel in print in I don't know maybe six or seven years I haven't since I bought my Kindle I can't think of one I mean yeah I have I I bought the first Kindle that came out I did too. and I have graduated I have graduated I had to wait six months for mine <clears throat> I was on a fucking waiting list forever to get mine. Um, and I have graduated up. I got a Kindle White, and now I've got I've graduated to a Kindle Fire. Um, and I just, you know. <laughs> What's really cool is I think that if you buy the print and you haven't already bought the ebook, that you can buy the ebook at a cheaper price as like a companion. Um, either way, you know, thank you for buying. I appreciate it. Um, all that money goes back into my site, um, so I keep a little PayPal fund, and that's where all that money goes. Um, and it's really, it's really handy. Um, <clears throat> and, um, but um, I don't know. I just, uh, I, the, the market changes and grows, and um, I do think that um, eBooks are um, definitely here to stay. And the print book, just, just from an environmental perspective, the, the print book does not have a future. There's going to come a point where a print book is going to be cost prohibitive to create and to buy. Because right now it's pretty cheap to put a book together. But considering how we're treating our planet 20 years from now, a, paper, a paperback that's currently costing you seven ninety nine might cost you fifty bucks, just because of environmental factors and concerns. So if you're not an environmental warrior and you love books, you need to get out and plant some fucking trees <laughs> and get your eco warrior on. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just saying because. Trees are going to die. They're, 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 we're, we're, global warming, 
rising sea levels, birds and pigs living together. How did it go? Dogs and cats living together. Cats living together. Mass hysteria. Okay. It's true. This man has no dick. And if you don't get that, get the fuck out of my chat room. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. You have to leave. But you do need to go fucking watch Ghostbusters. <laughs> <laughs> For fuck's sake. The original. The original. But watch the, I like the reboot, one. too. I I enjoyed the reboot. The last line in my little uh, blurb for the show really tickled Jilly, but I mean it quite seriously in that um, writers influence each other, um, both good and bad, and when you give someone a a doorway into your craft that they can really um, be very helpful or fuck you up, and there really is honestly no in-between. It definitely should be light books, plant some fucking trees. I agree. That should definitely be your next protest sign. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Think that because of environmental concerns and the cost of putting together books, that eventually it will be cost prohibitive to, to stock them in bookstores, to print them, um, probably print-on-demand will um, be the last stand for for print books. So books aren't printed until they're actually ordered. Um, so, that there's, so, so it cuts down on waste, you know? Um, I don't know. I just, you know, having been in um, publishing um, as a writer for two decades... I, it, it's easy to see how um, how things have changed and how um, the royalties changed, how um, the money you make changed, and it's just it's it's um, in the anti-intellectualism in um, especially in the United States is horrific for the book market. Uh, there's nothing more horrifying to me to encounter someone who's not read a book since high school. Proudly. Oh, I don't read. Proudly. Oh. I'm like, what? What really? What? Why are you so enthused about the fact that you don't read? I read in the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> I read everywhere. It's like, okay, so. When oh, I, wait. Pause. I, I, Rogue? Huh? There's a new Elizabeth Peters book? Pardon? Go ahead. I'm going to go to Amazon. <laughs> you just <laughs> go do your thing. So. I I can't stand this is just this is going to sound like a weird tangent but this is related. I I can't stand brushing my teeth. I find it very boring. But I do it. I brush my teeth twice a day just like I'm supposed to. But oh, I am um, painted clean. So I read while I'm brushing my teeth. So that's what I do, right? So I sit down and I read while I'm brushing my teeth. And um it takes me about five and a half minutes to brush my teeth. But you know, 45 seconds, move on. 45 seconds, move on. So one day I get into really doing something, and it was just riveting. It was something somebody sent me to read that she had. She's just an idea she'd had, and she sent me like her first chapter. And I'm sitting there brushing my teeth, and I spent six and a half minutes brushing one tooth. <laughs> it was ridiculous. It's 
like the cleanest tooth ever. Six and a half minutes on one tooth because I was so impressed. I just forgot what I was doing. I'm just sitting there not moving the toothbrush. Of course, it's an electric toothbrush. I should specify that. And reading this thing she sent me, and I was just like, oh, I'm so riveted. But I saw some people cannot read. How can you not read? I don't get it. Gosh, I am so excited for this book. I got a little teary eyed. <laughs> oh, the Painted Queen, an Amelia Peabody novel of suspense. I'm so fucking excited. Pre-order. What you're going to be doing later? <laughs> it's not. It's not here yet. It doesn't feel like it's oh, it's the just 25th. a pre-order. It's good for the challenge because I would not be writing. <clears throat> Anyways. Sorry, I got distracted because she's my favorite. She's absolutely my favorite. I'm just, I'm so thrilled. Um, thank you for letting me know. I really appreciate that. Seriously, I seriously appreciate it because I wouldn't have noticed it for a while. Um, now I don't have to wait. I'll be in line on Amazon. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I pre-ordered. <laughs> I don't have to get in line for anything. <laughs> I did get in line for Harry Potter, though. So it's being released at the end of the month, so we'll lose her on July 25th. <laughs> but only for a couple of hours. How can it already have ratings? I don't understand that. Um, it's because publishers send the book out to um, pre-readers. Oh, it's Vine, Vine reviewers. I should know that. I, I refuse to do book reviews on Vine because it made me uncomfortable. But I wasn't finding, I wasn't getting any books that I liked, and I didn't like... I didn't like giving bad reviews some books. I was like, usually if I don't like a book, I, I just don't say anything. I mean, I just keep my opinion to myself. But, you know, when you are committing to that, you're committing to give a review, I'm not going to lie and say, this was a fantastic read of the story that didn't know what it was. <laughs> it didn't know what it was trying to do. Please stop sending tell- my books to this vine person. Please stop. She's terrible. She's terrible. The funny thing is, I went ahead. This one story, I went, one book, I went ahead and posted. I said, you know, it's, it's. I gave it, I gave it, you know, three stars, and I said that it was, you know, I, I had to give them, you know, credit for for some things. I can't remember what I gave them credit for, but I just said that the the, the book lacked focus and it um it didn't have uh I couldn't even tell who the who the main character was. By the end, I still wasn't sure. <laughs> And I couldn't tell what kind of story it was trying to be. Um, and by the end, it still hadn't cleared it up. And that there never felt, I just didn't feel like that there was no sense of ending or there's nothing satisfying about it. So I gave it three stars, and I felt terrible about the whole thing. So my review goes up, and a few days later, all the reviews hit, and the stores, the book's got like one and a half stars, and all of the reviewers are saying the same thing. Who's the main character? What the hell is going on? What was the point of any of this? I was like the most positive review. <laughs> the so worst thing I ever person. see the worst thing I ever see on Amazon is a really terrible review and then an author who responds with thank you for reading. Oh. It's so passive aggressive. I've been tempted to do it myself. It's just because it's so ugly and passive aggressive to, to do that. Oh, thank you for reading. <laughs> oh, after that I said I am never I mean I've re- I've reviewed some um done some reviews of stuff like, you know, travel guides and stuff like that because I don't know if somebody wrote a shitty travel guide well, well you know they deserve a two-star review 
because if I got lost in Cancun using your travel guide, buddy, you're getting a shitty review of tough shit. But fiction is just a little bit harder. I just don't. I just refused to review a few fiction after that because it just made me so uncomfortable. I once read a book where I was convinced there were actually three main characters. And they weren't fucking. <laughs> That's no bueno. <laughs> I know, right? What the hell? Mm. Sorry, I got moon pie stuck to the roof of my mouth. Yes, I'm eating a moon pie. <laughs> of which there's only one appropriate kind to eat, and that is vanilla. Uh, I thought for sure you were going to say chocolate, and I was like, and then you said vanilla, and it was like, what the hell? Are you, you kidding mean, me? You mean, what do you mean by chocolate vanilla? It's disgusting. It's vanilla, moon pie. Vanilla. You, you mean, do, you mean, do you mean like just the vanilla on the outside, or? It's vanilla all the way through. It's a vanilla cookie. I don't eat the chocolate ones. Those are disgusting. Well, the only ones I well the ones I mean that's fun. The vanilla ones are fine, but the ones I've had that I like really were were just like the vanilla ones. It just had a chocolate coating. I don't like those. I like those the best. And the banana I don't ones want are chocolate. For I don't want. Oh, oh no! Don't even talk to me about bananas. That no. Oh, but the banana one is disgusting. Never go there. No. But I had some. I had a limited edition once once that had like chocolate marshmallow stuff in the middle, and that was really nasty. I bet. It sounds pretty nasty. It made me unhappy. It's not always good marshmallow, though. Look at Peeps. Who the hell actually eats Peeps? Do you eat Peeps? A lot of people, you know, I don't eat Peeps. No. I do experiments on Peeps, but I don't (laughs) eat them. How dare you? How dare you, Toad? <laughs> well, you eat chocolate moon pies. So well, I have to question everything. <laughs> but I don't eat mint Oreos. So there is that. Well, you're not allowed. My wife to eat does Oreos. <laughs> I had I had this friend who only likes peeps when they're stale. So she'll puncture the little peat packages, you know, when they come in little plastic packages, and wait till they're stale to eat them. Well, she got a, a pack once at Easter. She got some Easter peeps. And um, she she poked it with a toothpick to let air in so that they would get stale. So we kept waiting for them to get stale, and we'd poke them every once in a while. They were in our office, right? She bought those things in April, and they were still soft and fresh-looking in July. I told her she couldn't eat them. I said, you can't eat these because they're not getting stale. And I don't know what that means. That's not <laughs> they natural. They can't eat anything good. It's just completely unnatural. You can't eat them ever. <laughs> Those things are probably still soft in the landfill where they ended up. <laughs> anyway. No, peeps will not die in space. Nothing will happen to peeps. They did all those tests in the 90s to prove that peeps are indestructible. (laughs) Um, 
But you know, also as other as, as much as good as writers, other writers can can fuck you up and um, um, teach you bad habits. And this is especially true in fandom. You see oh. one person do something. Hello, one-sided phone conversation in the NCIS fandom. I'm looking at you. And the next thing you know, you got 15 people doing it. And you're thinking, oh, my God, what the fuck are you doing? Oh, my God. And why are you doing it? And the first time you see it, you're going, what is that? What is that? Did they change point of view? And the first time I saw it, my first thought, I go, did the point of view change and I didn't notice? I usually notice point of view changes. No, the point of view didn't change. I'm still in Tony's point of view. How can Tony not know what's being said on the phone if I'm in Tony's point of view? Hmm. Tony's talking to no one. And in alternating dialogue format that's not actually alternating, I can't deal with it. (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't make any sense. For the record... If your PLV character takes a fucking phone call, they can hear the other side of the goddamn conversation. <laughs> that's just the way that works. That's just the way that's just that's just the, unless 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 they're deaf. In which case, why are they on the phone? The only time you see one-sided conversation is if your POV your your POV character watches somebody else make a phone call right that actually makes well, sense he, but he's answering he's answering questions that's the problem he's having a conversation he's not just talking he's responding to things the other person is saying so you know so he's not just babbling at someone and it's just like one sentence after another and you just kind of lose track of who's talking but you know it has to be the same person because you can't hear the other side of the conversation because he's answering questions you're not actually hearing, seeing, reading. But then somebody else starts to do it and then somebody else starts to do it. And the other thing you start to see is typos also. They're not so much typos. I tend to think of typos as like hit the wrong key or something um, as opposed to just didn't know any different. Um, But you see mistakes become pervasive. Like, Somebody uses a word incorrectly, and the next thing you know, everybody is using it incorrectly. Um, case in this point, is also fandom. Take, this huh? is how tropes take off in fandom, too, though. True. <laughs> it's kind of contagious. Go ahead, case in point, fandom. But I'm pretty sure that I don't want to loose you comes right back to fandom. <laughs> because unless you're loosing someone with superpowers on someone else, you are not going to lose them. I never <laughs> see that typo elsewhere, ever. And Whilst. I see it. <laughs> Imagine hit it on the head. Whilst. Oh. No. Americans don't say it. We don't say it. Americans. We don't say it. Especially, and people, and generally people, and the thing is Americans know the word. I think it's, I've always heard it whilst, but maybe it's whilst. I don't know. But, it's, um, it's, it's generally considered to be pretend, it's, gen, it's generally considered to be pretentious um, in, in in America. It's generally considered to be pretentious. So, it's, which is why you have never heard a character on an American cop show say "whilst" or "whilst." You may have heard Sherlock Holmes say it. That's completely different. <laughs> but even <laughs> I, 
I actually I was so frustrated by this one day. I went and looked. A lot of British publishing houses are taking it out because it is so pretty much only it it's only like fifty percent of even Brits only uh, people in the UK only don't even use it because actually Wild predates Wildst. Oh, it's just. It's just, it drives me nuts, especially when something like Gibbs or Fornell says it. it it's so <laughs> jarring. It is, it is so jarring when someone like Gibbs or Fornell or 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 you know Aaron Hotchner or, or, or God help us Rossi Dave Rossi says, whilst it's like, oh, no, 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 no. I can't. I, I sometimes I can't get past it. Pretentious, apparently, huh? If huh? only fifty percent of the so so even in Britain it's kind of pretentious. If only fifty percent of the population is is using it. Yeah, it's got a really low percentage of usage even in the UK. Um, lower than you'd expect since that's the only place it's, it's being used. Um, and some British publishers, I was reading, um, and actually some um, guidelines given to by some publishing houses say not to use it because it limits it. it it's it's a, it's a partic- one word that is particularly off-putting in, in a lot of different regions and limits books' um, saleability outside of the UK. Is that particular word because it's so odd and considered so pretentious outside of um, you know? I've actually read this whole article about that particular word, so it's just so it's just so weird when I see it a lot. <laughs> I just see it a lot in fans. The thing is, it's kind of contagious. In fan fiction, it's like some people see it in one story, and then they start cropping up a few days later in another story. It's like, why quit using that word? It is not. It, it, there's no level of erudition that requires you to pick up whilst there isn't. You don't need to do it. I think that um, Spencer would not use it. No, Spencer. Um, Spencer's not pretentious. Ducky might. It. Ducky might. But Ducky's pretension is more of old school. Intellectualism, right? And he's he, he's from and he's Scottish, so he's not. Um, he wasn't he wasn't born and raised in the U.S. He's not going to. Whereas Spencer would be adopting a deliberate pretension. Somebody who's born and raised in Nevada, choosing to use a word that is considered pretentious in the U.S. And Tony, even growing up in the U.K. Um, there are core personality traits of Tony that I think you need to keep in mind. And this comes down to consistency, which we want to talk about anyway, um, character consistency. Um, Tony is easygoing. He uses language that makes people comfortable. He is uh, – his personality is inclined toward – making people comfortable, um, getting their confidence, um, becoming friendly with them, if not their friend, even if they think that they're a friend, you know. So even Tony growing up in the U.K., his core personality in that he wouldn't be pretentious or snotty or superior. And when you're constructing your character – the words they use, their vocabulary is just as important as the styles of clothes they wear, the kind of money they have, where they live, where they work. The vocabulary is very important. And you don't want to 
deviates so far when, when you're creating an AU character of Tony. If you go too far in any area, whether it be um, his vices, his um, <clears throat> his language vocabulary, you're basically writing an original character that you stuck Tony Genoso's name on. I think that's true of any character. You have to um, be careful with their vocabulary. Now, I am naturally someone with a very foul mouth, and it ends up in my work a lot when I don't mean it to, um, especially in dialogue. And um, so I have to be careful with that, and I, and I end up editing a lot of foul language out of my dialogue because it's just something that I naturally do. I think fuck is a great adjective. Um, but it doesn't belong in the vocabulary of every single character that I write, you know? Mm-hmm. So, 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 so keep that in mind when you're um, talking about um, w- when you're structuring your character um, and creating um, th- that kind of consistency. While your reader might not outwardly notice it, they will inter- they will absorb it. So if you're character is talking in a way that they never would have in canon, it's going to be jarring. And they might not even know why. The reader the reader will be like, I don't know why, I don't know why I, don't like him in this. I I'm it's really And they won't know why they don't like it. Some might but they won't like it and and they won't know why. And it might even become difficult for you for you to write. You get so far into it, and you've written yourself into a corner, and you might not even realize why you've written yourself into a corner when it comes to the fact that you've shifted your character so much that they're that they're no longer um, who they're supposed to be at all recognizable. One of the things I have in my character profile sheets is um, how much um, a character swears um, and what kind of swear words they use. Um, and guess it, not every person is, and, and it's just language quirks like that, because um, not everybody speaks and uses the same. Now, friends often, people who hang out together a lot, will often have the same kinds of swear words in their vocabulary because they usually swear at each other. <laughs> You know, um, and you pick up language from the people you're closest to. So it it you don't necessarily have to say. Um, I'm not even remotely suggesting that um, everybody needs to have a different pattern of swear words. But it's likely that if Ducky were to swear, he probably a isn't going to swear very often. That if he were to swear, that it would be um, extraordinary circumstances, and that it probably wouldn't be a word like fuck. And you wouldn't. And you also want to determine 
when they cuss. Yeah. Do they cuss when they're frustrated? Do they cuss when they're angry? How do they react when they're angry? How do they how do they act when they're frustrated or upset? Um, pro tip: Not everybody who gets angry and upset cries. Right. I'm going to leave that right there. I'll put that right down there for you, fandom. <laughs> Crying isn't the first reaction that most people have in anger. <laughs> do they throw things? Do they do they cuss? Do they storm out? Do they walk away? How do they respond to that kind of frustration? And these are parts of your character that you need to recognize um, going into the writing. My chat room. Where'd the chat room go? <laughs> it went away. It went away. Um, <clears throat> but I think I think I think character consistency. I think um, I think that's one of the things that fan fiction writers. One of the things I think I see them struggle with the most is keeping their characters internally consistent. Um, even their main characters. Because a lot of times, I mean, you see this even in published works. It's like the second and tertiary characters um, can bend to be out of character based upon the needs of the plot. And you notice it, but you kind of like go, eh, whatever. I mean, it. you notice it. I, I try to avoid it. I kind of get annoyed with myself when I do it, when I take somebody out of character to satisfy the plot, it really bothers me because I'm more concerned about character consistency usually than plot. So when I catch myself um, screwing up somebody's characterization in order to satisfy a plot point, it really bothers me. But anyway, um, but I read stories sometimes where somebody says they'll establish something about a character like a firm moral center, right? So they've said they set this as a baseline where the character is like, I'm not going to tolerate, you know, Whatever, and they they've said no to a situation because it violates them their ethics, right? So they've established firm moral center as this person's part of this, and then and then this person does things repeatedly that show that they're morally compromised, and it's like there's there's no consistency there. It's like you can't you can't have this person have a pivotal plot point around this person having a a firm, you know, moral center and then have their ethics be just kind of wishy-washy, you know? Like stealing from their employer or cheating on their spouse or, you know, it's just that this isn't where that shit works. Either someone either your character has a strong um ethical foundation or they don't. You pick one. Door A, door B. Walk through it. Um, I just want to say that even in canon, if Harry Potter had asked Dobby to throw somebody in a volcano, Dobby would have done it. <laughs> I guess I agree. Yes, Harry Potter. <laughs> Can I have some more socks? <laughs> he could have paid him in socks. 
that was not out of character at all. <laughs> House elves not even are a little bit. Eager to be loyal and to work for their master's wishes. So there was absolutely nothing out of character in Darkly Loyal about Dobby and Winky. The other three, yeah, they were completely out of character for canon circumstances. But Dobby and Winky were totally on point. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, Zan points out that TV shows are really bad for um, character con- consistency. Yeah, and NCIS is one of the worst offenders for this, for for you know, for character consistency. And you know, NCIS fan fiction writers, you're trying to raise the bar on that, not lower it. <laughs> Unfortunately. Speaking of, I want to do a public service announcement. No, I have never ever written fan fiction in any other name than Kira. Ever. I got an email this week, somebody asking me if I'd written in a particular fandom, and the answer is, I answered no, of course, because I didn't. Um, But I honestly, I have never written fan fiction in any other name but Kira. So, but and also, if you see my work published under another name, that person stole that shit. Let me know. <laughs> <laughs> I promise you, I've never done it, ever. Now, I do have old fan fiction that's not online because it's crappy and no one needs to see that shit um, that, that I wrote when I was thirteen. But so, but other than that, I mean, I've never posted fan fiction online in any other name but this one. I have. Well, we've talked about that, and uh, one of the th- I actually ignore the guessy questions. People do write me guessing. Was this you? And I'm like, I'm not even answering these questions. I'm not doing it because I've been really clear about why I. I dis- think it's actually your fault that I got that email because they did reference that fandom. Oh, lordy. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. We're not the same person. No. I'm not that talented to be able to throw my voice and maintain two websites and write two 100K projects in the same month. (laughs) Come on, people. Although I think our knickers of judgment were perhaps cast from the same... (laughs) <laughs> Both of iron. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Yeah. Ouch. <laughs> That's ugly, Claire. <laughs> Go sit in the corner. <laughs> but no, um uh but no, I have never, um, I have only, um, if you see it on my fan fiction website, that, that's what I've done. I've never done anything in X-Files. I've had limited um, stuff in NCIS, and it's either on my EAD um, or on my website. Um, and um, I've only ever posted Star Trek with Tangled Destinies on my website. So I promise you there is nothing out there lingering that is mine that you you can go find and read that is just not out there. It, it really is not out there. 
Yeah, and and and, and on EAD, yeah. But um, my Star Trek stuff. Um, I wrote that one Star Trek story when the Sentinel fandom last year. Um, but like I said, I just it, if it's if I've written it, it's either on my side or on EAD. I have I have a project on the Wild Hair project, um, which is a Harry Potter project. Um, you can't you can't miss my shit. You can find it, and there's nothing out there hiding with with somebody else's name on it that belongs to me. So I, unless they're cheating and plagiarizing me. <laughs> One stop shopping. I love Babylon Five. I do, but I have not written in that fandom. I find Babylon Five um, as a as a um, work. Profoundly intimidating. Just like I find Inception intimidating. Those asshole authors naming their titling their shit French words. That's really intimidating. <laughs> yeah, there's some there's some 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 fandom or some some shows some um, movies that I was I just they don't have that magic combo that draws me to want to write in them, and usually it's because they were that good. They were just fine the way they were. I don't know what I could add to it, you know? I need to be fixed That's how I feel shit. about Farscape. That's how I feel about Farscape. If we had not gotten Peacekeeper Wars, I would have gone into Farscape fandom and never come out. <laughs> but we did get Peacekeeper <laughs> Wars, and it made everything better, and everything was great. It was beautiful. And I loved it. I wanted more, but I didn't get more, but it was fine. And Babylon 5 was perfect. He knocked that shit out of the ballpark. I have nothing to add there. <laughs> yeah, so sometimes it's just that's the way it is. It's just like what's there is great. It's done. I have nothing to add. I have nothing to fix. Whereas, you know, all of the fandoms I tend to to, to be drawn to, it's like, oh, I can do that and that and that and that and that and, that, and all of that. And there's all these things to fix. And usually, And there has to be a character I really like, too. So that's to be like somebody for me to latch on to. I'm like a little like like I'm a little creative parasite. I have something to stick my claws into, like a dig in like a tick. For me I have to go, well what if? Yeah, there what has if? to be and there has to be a what if, a what if. Because there's that what if question. Well what if and sometimes it's what if Tony wasn't treated like crap all the time. Oh. What if Tony met a hot ass Navy SEAL? <laughs> what if? What but no, for real, it has to be the mothership. what if. And I have no what ifs in Babylon 5. It was so emotionally satisfying for me when I um, finally sat down and watched it. I watched all the movies, um, not in order of release, but in order they should be watched. Because my husband's a huge Babylon 5 fan, and I never watched any of it. So we watched the movies and the TV series, and he created a spreadsheet... <laughs> To figure out the order they should be read and watched in for continuity. Because they weren't released um, that way. Um, the movies weren't. Um, so it, so I watched it as it should have been watched for continuity. And I saw a new word for man whore this week. I, I, I heard it actually on a show called Scott and Bailey. This woman called her ex-husband who cheated on her a shag bandit. 
It was great. Oh my god, I never laughed so hard in my life. Oh, she said it so serious and so matter of fact because he wanted you to come home bandit. and she's like, she's like, you're a shag bandit. Like it just like it was. <laughs> in that moment, she questioned everything about him and why he existed. And it was said with such grave pity. (laughs) Shag Bandit. Perfect. And Tony, Steve, is my um, mothership. Thank you. What were we talking about before that? Because I got distracted (coughs) by Shag Bandit. It's not my fault. Oh, Babylon 5, I watched it in order of um, how it should be watched as far as, like, con- you know, continuity and timeline. So by the time I got to the end, I was just like, that was great. <laughs> I'm done. I need you. no more. <laughs> and, I, and I binge watched it over a period of about three weeks. All the movies and the whole series. So I'd never seen any of it. And I was just like, Yeah. <laughs> That was good. You know that scene in uh, a Kathleen Turner movie, Romancing the Stone, when when she's writing her book and she gets finished, and she's all she's all happy and teary. She's damn, that's good. That's exactly how I felt when I finished watching Babylon Five. (laughs) Damn, that's good. Oh yeah, when she starts crying at the end of her, and (laughs) that actually is a really good example for something else. Um. Y'all know how she was reading her story out loud mm-hmm. <laughs> in, yeah. that, in that movie? Yeah. You know how ridiculous some of that dialogue sounded? How melodramatic <laughs> some of it sounded? And we're all sitting there, and she she was just enamored of it. We're all sitting there going, oh, my God, that's awful. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Because <sighs> it was so terrible, but that was sort of the point. It's I love like, that movie. It was a great movie. Um. But actually, I, I, was having, I, had this long, I was having this long conversation with somebody, sort of with this, this thing that popped up in my head, in my head in the shower. I had this long conversation with somebody about um, um, the difference between when you're thinking about something and when you hear it or see it, and that your brain processes it differently, especially when you hear it as, or you speak it. So, like, when you are having a thought that, you, you know, whatever, you're, you say it out loud and so you've had you were you know like you're thinking something ridiculous, but you don't know it's ridiculous until you say it out loud. Or like you're feeling really bad about something, and you say, "I feel really bad about blah," and then it's the minute you say it, you feel really bad about it. Everybody's going, "Why do you feel really bad that you couldn't save the planet?" You know, it, because it sounds it seems perfect in your head. I couldn't save the entire world, and then you say say it, and it sounds absurd. It's because we process things differently when when we hear them and when we see them, and then just all trapped up in our head spinning around in our little brains. So the same thing happens when you are plotting, planning, writing, when it's all buzzing around up in your head. It may sound perfect. It may sound perfect when you're singing on the screen. But when you say it out loud, you may notice a difference. You may notice that your dialogue sounds stilted, or you may have two really... Um, you know what you call what you've described as alpha males, 
who have really soppy melodramatic dialogue, but you didn't notice it because it seems right to you in your head, but if you try reading it out loud, it's going to sound very different. So verbalize, verbalize stuff. Read your dialogue out loud. So if you have struggled with dialogue, best advice anybody ever gave me when I was struggling with dialogue was to read every bit of dialogue out loud. Before you show it to anybody, read it. Read your own dialogue out loud. And if it doesn't sound right, it's probably because it's not right. So go back and try it again. And read it out loud And again. keep reading it. <laughs> keep reading it out loud until you've got dialogue that resonates with the way you perceive that character. Because what you're hearing in your head is not the same thing as what you're going to hear with your ears. You're going to think that thing that sounds super emo. That in your head, you're not going to think it's super emo and melodramatic. And when you say it out loud, you're going to be like, "Oh my god, that's awful." Your cheeks are all red. You're like, "Oh my god, I can't believe I had to say that out loud." Like oh, my, yeah, my poor character. <laughs> I'm going to tell you an embarrassing part of my process. Um, and my husband has caught me doing this once, and I was absolutely mortified. And the only response I had when he caught me was. Is, I'm a writer, <laughs> right? So when I'm plotting out, um, I I don't always I I rarely scene map, and um, because scene mapping I think um, takes away from my creative process when I'm actually writing. So I don't scene map as a rule. Um, and anybody tells you that you have to scene map or, or you're not a plotter, tell them to kiss my ass. Literally my ass, not yours, but mine, because that's bullshit. I've been a plotter basically since I was 12 years old. I'm not even kidding. Um, And your plot process does not have to look like anybody else's. It doesn't have to look like mine or Jilly's or anybody else you see online. Your character profiles don't have to look like mine or anybody else's you see. Do your own thing. Do you. Be comfortable with you. And if you can't scene map or you don't want a scene map, then don't. And don't let anybody tell you you have to. Tell them to kiss my ass, like I said. Okay, so I don't scene map. But sometimes, if I'm having a hard time with a scene when I'm, when I'm actually in the writing, I will get up and move around my office and kind of, like, talk it out, do both sides of the conversation verbally, and, like, have the scene out verbally before I write it. And once, I thought I was home alone. My husband was supposed to be at work, and I'm doing this scene, and it was actually um, a really emotional scene. I got really upset, and I actually made myself cry doing this. And my husband walked in on me, and I turned around, and I was so, I was mortified. I was like, he's like, honey, and I had the music, I had music on, um, and he thought I was singing to the music, which was actually would have been embarrassing too, but I wasn't. I was actually doing something much worse than, you know, bouncing around my office with a that actually would have been kind of cute, I think, if, it, if he caught me lip-syncing, um, no doubt, with a hairbrush in my hand. <laughs> I might have owned that. I might have owned that. But, no, this was worse. I had no doubt on, too. But cause I'm a big no doubt fan. Anyways, um, I wish I hadn't spoke. Let's put it that way. Uh, and he, he was just looking at me like, what the fuck is wrong with you? And I was like, I'm a writer. I'm a and writer. He, he, he stared at me for a second and just, okay, babe, it's shut the door. <laughs> He's never brought it up again. 
I oh god, how I wish I had been lip syncing to No Doubt. <laughs> I do that. I do the acting out scenes sometimes too. Actually, sometimes for timing, because sometimes I have no idea how long something will take. Because people will say, uh, you'll see in um um a, a, something else. Somebody will say something like, "Silence rain for a couple of minutes." Couple, do you guys have any idea how uncomfortable a couple of minutes of silence is in the middle of a, cu- a difficult conversation? If things go silent for a couple of minutes, <laughs> I'd be like, Whoa. You mean moments. You do mean not moments. Minutes. And moments and, is like seconds. Yeah. Okay, but even a couple of seconds. And a lot of people like don't realize eternity. that a moment isn't a minute. It isn't a minute. Because a couple of and I'm very literal, you know? So, like, when I am, when I, sometimes I have to, I have to like, when I read something, somebody says that the silence rained for a couple of minutes. I'm like, well, what were they going to be doing while all that silence was happening? Or I read something once where Harry gives himself, he needs to give blood, at a, at, you know, at, at Gringotts or something. And um, he gives himself a small, quote, quote, small, four centimeter cut on the tip of his finger. And I'm sitting there going, I hope they gave him blood transfusion. <laughs> I hope they put his finger back on. Um, but yeah, it's like four centimeters. It's not. That's not really dainty. Um, okay. Um, okay, but it's just like it's just like I really pick up on stuff like that. You know, it's like little inconsistencies that just it's like that can't possibly be, but. But sometimes I'm like, you know, we're like, how long? So it's like somebody's got 15 minutes. It's like, we've only got, they got, I give it to me 15 minutes to do something. Or, you know, Gibbs is going to be here in 10 minutes. We have, and I'm like, how long was that conversation, right? Or I think, I think Carrie's been talking for two hours. I'm like, well, how long? It took me 10 minutes to read it. How long would it take to have this conversation? It, more times than I can count, I have clicked the timer and acted out an entire scene to see how long it would take just so I would get a feel for how long that conversation took. More than because that's just that's just what I do, you know. I mean, I'm used to reading my stuff out loud. Why shouldn't I prance around my living room, acting it out to see how long it's going to take? Someone in the chat room said that a moment is 90 seconds. A moment, as a unit of time, I think that's like a a shadow sundial thing. Yes, that is 90 seconds. But in a fictional narrative, when you say uh, he was silent for a few moments. You really just mean seconds. They're not yeah. talking about um, the movement of a sundial, which would be yeah, a scientific term. Moment, as in time, would be a scientific term. Moment in a fiction and fictional narrative would just be a couple of seconds. It's like it's um, it's like it's get, like a couple beats you know, of your heart is what you're talking about. It's like you're boom, it's boom, like you, boom. it's a pause. You know, it's like it's, it, it's just just it's long mm-hmm. enough for you to, for it, for there to be a significant silence without it being, um, you know, weird. Um, it's a pause, but you know, also I, this is my friends are very tolerant <laughs> because whenever I can't figure out how a sex scene works, it's like is that body position even possible? I make my friends do it for me. <laughs> Could you guys get <laughs> into you? this position for? Put you your leg up on me? his shoulder. <laughs> I want to see if this position is even remotely possible. And then they'll be like, well, what is it you're trying to accomplish? I'm like, well, now can you reach around? Okay, no, you can't really do that in that position. Okay, FYI, thank you. Good good to know. 
I'd be like, what are you writing? Now you don't want to know. And if there was a body between the two of you, do you think, never mind. (laughs) (laughs) How many degrees would you have to tilt your hips? Like what, from Ikea? Oh, my gosh, lately. If you get those posable dolls from Ikea, you have to take pictures. Definitely. Even the dirty ones. Hilarious. Back to the the brain thing. So your brain processes things differently when you hear them, which is why also sometimes for everybody, this happened to every writer who has been stuck, 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 stuck on a plot, something. And the minute they start to verbalize it to somebody, they solve their problem. Or you think you've got this idea all worked out in your head and you share it with somebody, and the minute you start to share it, you you immediately yourself start hearing all the plot holes that you have not been able to identify in the weeks that you've been noodling on this idea. It's because you just process it There's differently. There's a perfect example it. of me doing that live on the air on the podcast. I've done it too. You did. You did have a moment, though, where you just kind of stumbled right into it. It was like, oh. Like, motherfucker. And it's so annoying. Oh, I can't even think about it. Yeah, I can't talk it out with my dogs because they'll talk back. Not like with words, but with barking at me. But yeah, just get, it, not just get it out of your my mouth. Creative process. Get it out of your brain. Get it out of, you know... Um, It's about striking a balance in your creative process where you can, um, you know, because if you're just creative and you don't, you know, apply any analytical steps to what you're doing, you miss plot holes. That's that's uh, finding plot holes and sorting out character inconsistency. That's the analytical side of all of that, right? You know, it can't just be a purely, and that's that's the epiphany I had in the shower because I was I was rambling at Kira about this thing, and I wasn't I wasn't summarizing. I wasn't you know summarizing what what I was trying to say and I was like, ah, balance is that we have to, you know, I don't mean I don't mean by balance I don't mean fifty fifty. That's not what I'm saying at all. But but we do have to have both sides. Is you can't just be one if you're just hundred percent creative, then weird things happen and things don't make sense and people there's no suspension of disbelief, you know, everybody's disbelief is shattered, is you know, it's like a giant humpy dumpty floor death. pieces are missing. Yeah, it's like ugh Everybody's living together. Everybody's disbelief suicided. And, you know, <laughs> it's just <laughs> tragic. But you know, so yeah, I mean, uh, but a lot of times you can do weird things in public, and 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 if you tell somebody you're a writer, it's like it totally excuses it, because I have a habit of plotting into my phone, and I do mean that. I'll be like in Kroger, I'll be like okay, and I'll be like putting out all these points in my into my audio recorder in my phone. And I have done this more than once where I turned around and someone was looking at me like, oh, I'm a writer. And they'll be like, oh, okay, I could plot a murder on my phone. <laughs> and in it was, I'm a writer. And everybody's like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, cool. <laughs> Although sometimes this backfires on me because I have gotten advice. That would be no bueno. I don't need your help. I was like, but I don't want to put the body in the trunk. (laughs) 
look at her. I said, do you have any idea how hard it would be to get a body in a trunk that outweighs you? I said, I'll say from experience. <laughs> but I'm just saying, if your heroine is five foot three, five foot four, she's not putting a six foot two motherfucker weighs two hundred pounds in her trunk without help. She's gonna need something for leverage and a pulley system, probably. <laughs> a pulley system, a hand truck, a wheelbarrow. <laughs> if only we All had a wheelbarrow, up. that would be something. <laughs> And that could bring Needless us to Kira's to say, point. We got some really interesting looks in the middle of the cake aisle at Kroger. <laughs> I had an excuse. I'm a writer. I'm, I'm a writer. Yeah, you're a writer. She did not have an excuse. But that's one of the things that you want to, you know, and that brings to Kira's point is that that she mentioned in the summary for the show was that you have a like your best talking to yourself is a great first step talking to yourself is there's nothing crazy about that even if you're not a writer talking to yourself can actually be really good for you um <laughs> look it up i'm i kid you not look up there are, there are article after article after article about the benefits of talking to yourself about how it improves learning um all kinds of stuff so i'm kid you not talk to yourself but for for creative people especially especially writers verbalizing and hearing the stuff is incredibly valuable. It engages the analytical side, and the analytical side and the creative side come together, and it fixes stuff. Problems you're having will get will get solved, or you'll identify where your problem areas are. So talking to yourself first step. Other step, talking to other writers. That is like one of the most beneficial things ever. It is such a great boon to creativity, but like Kira mentioned, it can also be a killer if you're talking to the wrong people. So if you're talking to people and you find your creativity being slaughtered by the process, you're talking to the wrong people. Find new people. It's it's really important because who you talk to shapes your ideas. It shapes your... Um, construction of your characters uh, for good and bad. And we all kind of form cliques in fandom. For those of you who have... um, You can see the cliques. You can see the writer groups that kind of group together. And you can see the, the... the habits they share and they pass around to each other for good and bad. Um, You see um, the exchange of ideas. Like I, I pulled something from one of your stories once and put it in mine by accident when I was um, in in my rough draft and I saw it and I thought, that's not mine. (laughs) Either I keep it I'd give Julie credit, take it out, put something else in. <laughs> I forget what it was, and I forget what I did. But, um, but so you know. In fact, Lady Holder and I connected over me being inspired by something that she wrote, um, and um, her doing a beta for me, um, and we just kind of clicked, you know. Because um, while our styles are not similar, we are um, very different writers. Um, 
she kind of I I said it before and I'll say it again even though I did cause some confusion the last time I said it is that I tend to write the top of my narrative um, whereas Jilly is kind of deep in her narrative which is why you'll see um, her POV character um, is it's it's a very deep POV and Lightholder's kind of in the middle so it's it's really interesting to to be around them as writers because um, I do write I do ride my narrative at the top. Um, and I kind of skim my character's thoughts and feelings um, in third person. And um, But Jilly's third person is so deep, it's almost first. Without making you feel like you're all up in my business. <laughs> right, right. I think it's more barrier for you as a writer than it is for the reader. It is. I mean, I've written when I write first person because I've written first person in the past, and um, um, it's uh, it's much more it's much more difficult. I get much more into the character. Um, I felt like I sometimes was feeling like I was my was having some weird personality changes on occasion. <laughs> I was like, why are you being so bitchy? I was like. I realized it was I was I was going through a difficult my character and it wasn't me but that's the thing I was like I'm going through a difficult time with and I'm like okay that's not me that's my character. Hmm. So I click over I, to the chat because my because um, the messenger was blinking and I get over there and there is a um, note from Azure that says you don't have to be crazy to be a minion we'll train you. <laughs> that's right. Sandy. <laughs> Says something in the chat room that I want to talk about. She says, I have a friend who basically ruins all my story ideas by telling what other published authors have done something similar. The next time your asshole friend tells you that, you tell her there are seven stories and ten billion ways to write them. And also to kiss my ass. <laughs> I'm serious. You don't need a friend like that in your process or in your craft. So for the sake of yourself, stop sharing your craft, your ideas with him, um, him or her, because um, it is, that kind of masochism isn't healthy. Granted, most kinds of masochism aren't healthy, but that one in particular is just not healthy. Tell him to kiss my ass. I was, um, I was looking for an idea to do to submit for a. Um, I was trying to noodle out an, um, a story idea for a to submit to a publisher, and I was asking somebody for some help me work out a, a plot idea. And I told them what the kind of the the, the structure needed to be, what the what the overarching thing needed to be, and the immediate thing they did when the, when I asked for the. And I and I don't I think that they had no clue what I was asking for with when I asked for the help, and I was sort of flummoxed by what I got because I thought that this person I this person always had always struck me as being very creative, and um, and having good advice and just being kind of on the ball, and they rattled off like six or seven different novels that they had read that were of a similar vein and the way that author had approached the thing I was trying to do. And I was like, I just kind of stared, and I was like, well, now, if I would have come to any of those ideas independently, now I can't, don't feel like I could use them, because you've just 
told me that they've already been done and who did them and how they did them and how well they... Ex- I, what are you doing? What are you doing? You're just completely raining on my parade. This is why I'm trying to give you ideas. I said, N- N- that's not ideas. <laughs> that's, that's not what I mean. That's not what I mean by ideas. Um, <laughs> that's not what I mean by ideas. I, I mean, help me flesh out this idea, the one that I have, not the one that somebody else had. That's a, well, that idea is bullshit. <laughs> what are you doing? This is not what I, this is not what I asked for. This is not how any of this works. <laughs> but they were they didn't understand. And I think I think and I did, it didn't occur to me that they didn't understand what I wanted them to do. Um and they didn't understand what I meant by flesh out of this. All they all the only thing they the only frame of reference they had was what they had already read. I'm like, I'm not trying to I'm trying to do a new version of that. I I don't I don't want to know what somebody else has already done because it, I'm already trying to avoid the things that have already been done. No. And some people you sometimes you can come to the same idea independently or very not the same exact idea but very similar ideas independently. But it's like once you're contaminated by knowing, it's like well to me that's just like I was like bah. I was I was just so frustrated. I was like, "What are you doing? Stop it! You're you're ruining my word, baby." And that just, now, uh, that whole writer? idea just yeah, she is, and that's what really kind of threw me was that she does write, um, and she's written several books. And I was so flummoxed that she was so goofy about this whole process. I'm like, "Well, how do you how do you brainstorm? I mean, how what do you do when you're trying to work out an idea?" I'm a dead deathly afraid that what she does is go and find uh, I, I, she didn't really give me a good answer so I'm afraid that what she does is go, goes and finds books like what she wants to write and sources inspiration um, so she recycles I know writers who do that they, they recycle from their own work and from others um, and um, I think one of the things that fandom teaches writers is to um, step out of that box I think some of the most creative ideas I've ever seen in fiction, I've I've seen first in fandom. Yeah, people in fandom are really creative. And part Speaking of, of I'd like to go on to... record and say I did not pick up that Revenant idea from anybody. It's not a book. It's not a TV show. It's mine. Okay? <laughs> I am actually capable of an original idea. <laughs> Holy shit. And if it is out there somewhere, I don't know about it. So, so give me a break, people. Was that whiny? No, it's not whiny. I mean, sometimes we just don't. It's just like we. I, I don't know. There's like this need to latch things onto something familiar. I I don't know why. It's like, oh, this is like. Well, no, stop it. Quit trying to compare. Don't make it like something else. Um. And yet, sometimes people do come to. Um, it's like, especially in the Harry Potter fandom, I figure that everything's already been done. I just don't know about it yet. Um, but if I don't know about it, it's new to me. So I don't need somebody raining on my parade to tell me the six different people who already did that thing that is new to me. Which is one of the reasons why sometimes I'm very careful about who I discuss ideas with, because there are people out there who have read a lot more Harry Potter than I have, who are perfectly willing to tell me, 
all the stories that have done the thing and give me way more information than I want about exactly how it was executed, about this idea that's very similar, or they think it's similar to what I want to do. And then it just throws me off and returns me off and I don't want to write what I wanted to write. Um, they asked me in the chat room. Yes, I had one comment on the site, but I've had several emails, people asking me for the source material because I really wanted to read it. The implication being that they didn't think I could think that up by myself, I guess, or their Google failed them and they couldn't find it. <laughs> so they, but if it was a fusion, I would have put it in my author notes. Anyways, it was just super annoying. Um, <clears throat> there was something in the chat room that was, where was it? Oh, Claire says, it's really annoying to get a, great, get a great idea and start to write it, and then someone says they have a great idea and they share it with you, and it's basically your idea. What is worse, Claire, is for you to share an idea with somebody and to have that asshole write it before you can. I've had that experience. Yeah, that's really annoying. I got this a lot on the um, originality issue when I was doing ties. When I was doing the main thrust of ties that bind, people kept asking me if I had read those those slave books. Um, Kushel's Kushel's Dart. Yes, because of the house markings, and I think because of the pleasure houses. I've never read those books because there's sex slavery and there's rape, and I don't read that shit. I'm not saying her books are shit. I'm saying I think rape is shit, <laughs> and I don't read that. Um, on the other side of it, I was led to believe that the training houses in those books are basically slave houses. I don't know. I haven't read it. But it, it's really uncomfortable for somebody to compare my pleasure houses to a facility in another book where they train people to actually be slaves. Because there's actually nothing more offensive to me um, creatively than rape and slavery. Slavery being the worst of the two. Because it is a continuous emotional and physical rape of a different sort. Yeah. It's really detestable. So um, I really didn't appreciate the comparisons. Because I had never read it, so I had no idea what they were comparing me to or assuming that I'd gotten my inspiration for the Pleasure Houses from. But my Pleasure Houses are actually rooted in reality because if you're in that culture and you're in that scene, there are people that you can reach out to that can teach you, mm-hmm. train you, so to speak. Um I've been in those situations, not as a teacher, but as a student. So um, I have had, um, I have been educated in various things as a student on um, those issues that I really don't want to talk about. It's not, that's none of your business, you guys. <laughs> but, and that's where that comes from. It's based on reality, and so are the contracts and all that stuff. Um, but I have never read Kushal Star, and I never will because I psychologically cannot handle that kind of um, content. And Lady Holder told me about it and told me I shouldn't read it. 
And Lady Holder is my gatekeeper. <laughs> yeah, if Lady Holder says don't read it, you don't read it. That's just the way it goes. <laughs> Now, see, some I think I think there's a large segment of fandom for some reason that is allergic to admitting that they were inspired by something, and I've never ever perceived you as being somebody who struggles from that. So, if you had been inspired, because you you admitted where you got your inspiration from Zanzi, and um, so if you had been inspired by this other book, you would have just said so. Um, but there, I mean, yeah. there definitely is a so, so that's not an issue for you. I mean, but there definitely is a large segment of, of fandom that is is like allergic to admitting that they were inspired by something. And I don't. I think inspiration is great. And when I inspire somebody, um, when somebody tells me that they read If Found and they want to go and write Tony being related to the Shepherds, I think that's awesome. I think that that is um, now when they want to use my exact same plot device. Um, and use Rude. all the same all the same plot mechanics that I use. That's a little bit over the line, but if they want to, if they just want to take the inspiration of the idea, I think that's I think that's awesome. I'm very flattered by that that they would find an idea I had to be to inspire their creativity. I think that's great. I really do. Um, that's a new rule right there. If 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 you're in a situation and Azure tells you no. Don't read it. Don't look about it. Don't Google it. Don't really do no. it. Yeah. If Ash says no, it needs to be noped from orbit, as Sandy said, and that is the truth. If Ash can't handle it, you don't want to. You don't want any part of it. Just get on the nope train to Nopeville and forget about that shit. <laughs> Just nope. It's not happening. But no, I do. Um, I think that is the most terrible thing I've ever seen written in my chat room. Because it's true. Yeah. I'm not it is. saying that you are terrible, but that that is true. So someone wrote that that they think that people have been desensitized to things like rape and slavery because fanfic writers use them as plot devices um too often. And and fanfic writers um are very cavalier about um, in a lot of ways, slavery, about slavery especially slavery, um, and it's like there's no good slavery. There's no good. There, there, there's no good slavery. Um, you can't have a benign there is a owner. difference between um, voluntary sexual slavery in a BDSM situation and actual ownership of a person. Yes. And ownership of a person is just not okay. And when you're throwing sex into that dynamic, I don't. I've had I had somebody like try to talk my ear, you know, turn turn my ear purple, trying to explain to me how their plot was okay because um, their person who was owning the people didn't agree with the ownership laws and was trying to protect people. But at the end of the day, they still owned the people. It was fine, fine. So fine if the plot didn't have sex. If it was a non-romantic plot, but the bottom line was is that the owner was still having sex with the slave, and I can't get past that because the, no the slave is a slave is incapable of com- of, of consent. Right. That is just, so. If you want to write that, if you want to write that story, you, you just don't do it with the relationship. You have the re- consenting relationship being between the two slaves who aren't really slaves because they're being kept in this place by this person who is owning them to protect them 
but doesn't agree with the slavery laws or whatever. But you don't have you don't have, you know, Gibbs owning Tony and as a as a form of protection protecting him and then having a sexual relationship. And that'd be okay. And that's not okay. It's not okay. It's, it's just not okay. it's, it's not acceptable. It's never okay. You, you don't you it's can't never. have sex with somebody you own, even if you're owning them in a way to protect them. It just so people will just talk your ear off about how their version of it makes it okay, and that's just the point where I'm just like, listen to it, listen to it anymore. It's like, nope, 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 nope. If it's not BDSM, nope, nope, I don't want to hear done. about it. And I hate when assholes wreck me that shit, too, when I tell them I don't read it. I actually had an asshole send me a fic and ask me to look it over. Um, they actually asked me to be their plot doctor, and um, I have encountered that before. Um, both professionally and in fandom, and I've I've done it. I don't I don't mind doing it. Um, but what I do mind is if you email me something and um, I ask you point blank if it has any consent issues in it, and you say no, and four fucking chapters into your book there's a goddamn rape scene. I'm not bitter or anything. I'd, I'd be so at pissed. that point. You have destroyed every single ounce of trust I had in you, and you will never get it back. I closed it. I deleted it. I sent them an email, told them to never fucking contact me again as long as they live. I could not be more serious. So if you wreck me something to read, and you say... It doesn't have any rape in it. It doesn't have any slavery in it. And it does. I'm never trusting you again. Sorry, I got up on a soapbox. It, I, it, it's really... I saw it coming in the story. But they told me that there was no... That it wasn't... I I I'd be I'd have been furious too. I'd have been like, what? Not the fuck? only not you know what? Not only was it right, but it was incest. Oh. It was parent. It was father daughter. No 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 no. I I saw it coming, and I was like, that's not gonna happen. That's, oh God, that's gonna happen, and I I shut it. No, she was twenty. Um, but still his child, and they responded to my never email me again message and said, well, it, was, it wasn't for titillation or for excitement, it was for plot, and I'm like, I didn't fucking ask you what it was for, I asked you if it was there, mm. <laughs> I'm gonna have to stop talking about it because I got so mad. I w- I could not even. I ha- I took my dogs for a walk, and the fourth trip around the block, my dogs were looking at me like, "Bitch, we need to go with the- <laughs> we need water. <laughs> you need to calm the fuck down." So somebody somebody commented about um, the dubious consent tag, that there's no ambiguity about it, either there's consent or there's not. Um, actually, I do use the dubious consent tag, and I'll tell you the reason why I use it and the conditions I use it under. Um, I do think consent to me is dubious when both parties are equally impaired 
in their decision-making process were unable to give completely willing consent to the sex. That means the consent is dubious. So if both parties, both parties are drunk and have sex, I would tag that dubious, dubious consent. Because that's if one party is drunk and the other one is not, that's right. That's right. So if both parties are drugged, so if both parties are like the whole sex pollen thing, if both parties are, you know, um, get exposed to some alien thing and they wind up falling and shagging Hot like bunnies on the floor, du- dubious consent. Because why? Because they're out of their heads. And if they weren't out of their heads, maybe they were attracted to each other, but regulations would have prevented them from ever acting on it. Therefore, their consent is dubious because they wouldn't have done it in their right mind. Aliens made them do it. They're both under the same amount of pressure. Consent is dubious. So... Um, as long as both sides of the party, both both sides of the sex, I'm totally. I will usually read it as long as both sides are equally affected by whatever the. Dubious consent doesn't bother me as much um, unless it's being used to like cover up rape. Say that one person was drunk and the other one wasn't. That's rape. Um, one's unconscious, one's not unconscious. That's rape. Um, yeah. It's not dubious consent. But the one that's always bothered me the most, and I've been seeing it all my life as a writer, um, as, oh, at least as a published writer, and that is forced seduction. Gross. I want to kick somebody in the head every time I see it. Forced seduction. And you want to say, oh, well, a man thought that up. No. You know, all those bodice rippers where the woman is forced to marry the pirate or the cowboy or she gets taken off a wagon train and made the the woman of an Indian chief or whatever, you know, and then he has sex with her for her own good, you know, to keep her safe, to consummate the marriage. They call that forced seduction, which means he's going to force her until she agrees. I didn't say what head I wanted to kick them in. I read The Wolf and the Dove when I was 14, and I had no idea what I read. I read it again when I was 20, and I was like, what the fuck am I reading? I took it to my mom, and I said, how could you let me read this when I was 14? (laughs) What is wrong with you? And she never read it either. And so she reads it, she says, oh, my God, why did I buy this for you? Forced seduction is basically coercion. You know, I mean, yeah. that's what it is. It's coercion, and I don't, I don't, I don't read sex by coercion either. Cleaning of the cave bear is not coercion. Cleaning of the cave bear is is rape. He rapes her comp- r- r- repeatedly in that book, and I had no idea until I was much older, and I was like, "Oh my God, what have I read?" You know, I was I was researching for the um, the end of If Found for the case that Tony's working on at the end because I wanted to be sure I knew what charges he was talking about, 
And I assume that was talking about rape charges. If when you coerce someone into having sex, you blackmail them into having sex because you blackmail someone into sex with sex by coercion. And so I'm reading the UCMJ to try to determine what that charge would be. And at worst, sexual assault is not considered rape. And I was hopping mad. I was so mad I almost couldn't finish my own story. <laughs> it's infuriating. Furious. I was furious. I was so angry. I had to, like, give myself a timeout because I was so pissed off. I was like, I was really regretting. I was like, I'm regretting my life choices, and I'm regretting my 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 need to be accurate because I should have just hand waved it away and made it, you know, a rape charge. I would have been happier with life. Man, I read so many bodice rippers in the eighties. I mean, I was, I was a teenager, you know. I was, I was, I was. I was I was a I love the not... Viking ones. I love them. I love them when he would capture her. I thought it was amazing. I I had no idea. And you go back and you read them now and you're like, what the hell was I thinking? I remember being in my twenties and me and my mom were in a used bookstore. And she was picking out books and I was picking out books and um she offered me a book um from a very popular um, historical romance writer who loved to write capture, you know, Viking, pirate, Scottish lord, lard, whatever how you say it, um, taking a woman off, making her his, um, and um, I said, I don't want this crap, and I handed it back to her, and she said, why? Well, in my little 20s, I became something of a militant. <laughs> I was like, do you seriously think there is anything romantic about being kidnapped from your home, taking it, taken into some primitive ship or hut by some fucking barbarian, and then told that you're going to have sex, and you will like it, and this is what you want. I don't need some asshole pirate telling me what I want. I know what I want. <laughs> and I just complete meltdown, right? And I turn around, and there are four other women who have skirted around the shelves, because it was like shelves and rows, you know, like a library, but it was a used bookstore. And they were all standing there staring at me. And I turned around, and I said, what? And one of them put the books back that she had been picked out to read I think I ruined historical romance for that woman sorry lady (laughs) wherever you go taking names and traumatizing people not even discuss the hygiene involved in that situation because no (laughs) that's the last time my mother ever offered me a was it Janelle Taylor I forget but I've never been offered another one of those books (laughs) So we've got five minutes to talk about the emotional masochism of going with going with pants <laughs> when, you, when you should have stayed in your skirt. 
<laughs> I should have stayed in my skirt. Yeah. I, I, I wrote here last night. I told, I told her to put on her skirt. Because <laughs> <laughs> me and the pantsing aren't getting along. <laughs> there would be a flaming crater. Well, it's well, good. That's not the, but it's not the your, point. But we it's can't go to my happy. mom's favorite Walmart because she does have one. She has a favorite Walmart. So we can't go to that one. <laughs> I am actually, um, I have plotted and I'm writing a historic, a a Hobbit fic where um, Thorin is um, in the Blue Mountains and um, the the dragon came, but the dragon was defeated. And so Erebor is still the kingdom and his father is the king. And he's in the Blue Mountains in charge of that settlement and he gets bartered a wife from the Hobbits. And they send in Bella in exchange for it's, it's part of a trade agreement, and he accepts her and he marries her. And the thing is, is that because she was part of the trade agreement, he doesn't think he should sleep with her because she doesn't really have a choice in this, right? So the marriage night comes and goes, and she doesn't get laid. <laughs> so like half the book is her thinking. Why am I not getting laid? <laughs> <laughs> this is ridiculous. <laughs> and at some point, I want her to go to his sister and be like, I'm not getting laid. <laughs> You've got to do something. I've been married a year. I want a damn baby. <laughs> I want a damn baby. <laughs> no, there's no, there's no blaming. This is... Um... Not liking the pantsing is not a reflection of the end product. It just wasn't, she wasn't enjoying it. But, <clears throat> the thing is, is I have pants, but it's always been a very organic experience. Planning to plant pants was a mistake. And, um, but it, it really, um, it's, uh, I, I look for ways to challenge myself as I move into challenges because I structure them in a way, um, this is going to sound ugly. It's a good thing I only have a minute and a half left of my podcast. Okay, so I structure challenges on Rough Trade to be easy for me because I think that that means it won't be difficult for other people to to do it. <laughs> so then I have to go behind and make it a little bit more difficult for myself privately in order to be challenged. I'm not trying to be ugly. I'm just um Well, you're the most experienced writer in the group. Episode, there were several people who were surprised that I wrote my first episode the first day. I write I upwards of ten K a day when I'm writing. I can write ten thousand words a day. Hammering out a five K episode was a walk in the park. <laughs> so we got forty seven seconds left. I may or may not do a podcast tomorrow. We'll see how it goes. Say good night, Julie. Good night, everyone. <laughs>